Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Attention pro athletes. Want to secure your financial legacy and thrive off the field? Oak Bridge Wealth Management, led by wealth manager Chris Anasetti, is your dedicated financial planning ally. But don't take it from me. Take it from the Dallas Cowboys' Tyler Biotish. He says, Chris set goals financially and has been incredibly impactful in my journey in the NFL. Experience our customized, comprehensive approach, trusted by top NFL players. Don't leave your financial success to chance. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anaceti. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And let Oakbridge Wealth Management guide you across the goal line. Believe in Badgers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network presented by BetOnline.ag and Oak Bridge Wealth Management. Once again, I'm Matt Perkins, joined as always by Badger legend, the Hebrew hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. Bernie, how are we doing today? Again, man, every day on the podcast is a holiday. Uh, excited to chop it up today, but you know what? We're not even a month out. Like football, it's here, man. It's exciting. Yes, it's very exciting, and I'm very excited about our guest today. Uh, We have Joshua Perry, who will be calling some Badger games this fall on NBC, I believe, Joshua, uh, Big Ten Network. It is uh, great to see you and great to have you here. No, definitely appreciate the invite. Excited to talk a little football. I'm getting super excited, too. Like, you you know, your your, your blood starts to do some different things. Your heart rate elevates uh, when you start getting close to football season, so looking forward to it. Yeah, are, are you getting any flashbacks to training camp? Uh, yeah, actually. And I've gone to a couple of training camp practices this preseason. I'm watching those guys run around. And I'm like, dude, I don't have it in me anymore. So uh, get the flashbacks. Mostly good things nowadays. So. Yeah, I'm sure about it. Yeah, we uh, we talked about Bernie going to camp last week on uh, the podcast because Wisconsin, I don't know if Ohio State, when you were there, you guys like went away to camp or not. But uh, we used to go away to I should I say we Bernie used to go away to the seminary in uh, outside of Madison and uh, really just be shut off from the entire world. Did you guys have that Ohio State as well? No. So uh, we never really went away. Uh, what Urban would do a lot of times is he would take us to these like like public practice fields and they were absolutely terrible like you know there's uh like concrete in the middle of the field just to build up a little grittiness uh because when we went back to the facility it was like being at a country club so uh you know no travel no dorms necessarily but he used to make us get out there in the mud a little bit that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Well, before we get into it here with Joshua, I want to remind you that we are presented by betonline.ag, where they continue to be your number one source for all of your online sports wagering needs. You name it, they've got it over there at BetOnline, especially as football season is closing in. It is the place to be for futures, Heisman Trophy odds, all that good stuff. 
So uh, head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V. Bet online where the game starts. And we are going to start today, Joshua, talking about uh, the most important man in Wisconsin at the moment, and that is Coach Luke Fickle, someone with whom you are intimately familiar. So talk to us first just about your relationship with Coach Fickle. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, one of the all-time guys in this business. I know there are a lot of coaches out there who get in it to just coach and they want to do the X's and O's and in, in the program building, but they don't necessarily want to do the relationship part of it. And Luke Fickle is fully invested on the relationships and mine dates back to when I was a high school sophomore as uh, when I first got to know him. Um, he is a phenomenal human being, a better person than he is a football coach. And he's a great football coach, but um, he's somebody who will just send a text to check up on me, ask how my family's doing. Uh, things of that nature. And he's built that type of connection with a lot of different players. I look at his coaching staff and the amount of guys that he's worked with in the past that are now at Wisconsin. Uh, you got Dante Booker, who's working with strength and conditioning and Chris Worley, who's working, um, you know, pr- uh, player development and uh, tough Borland, who's a GA there. Uh, strength coach Brady Collins is a guy who I'm very familiar with, who is at Ohio State when I was there, but we also went to the same high school. Um, he was a few years ahead of me, but those guys developed a really tight connection and They've been together ever since. Um, I think that shows the the type of person that he is and how much he really values relationships. And so um, for me, it's it's been great to watch his career take off like this because he's the guy who deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've had Brady Collins on the show twice already, and we are also very big fans of Brady Collins. He is someone who has a unique energy. And now um, you got to come up and spend some time with the team this summer, with the Badgers, actually. Uh, talk to us about how that happened. Why did Coach Fick bring you in? Yeah, so, um, you know, he's doing a series. We called it Real Life Wednesday when I was at Ohio State. I don't know if he's calling it something different at Wisconsin, but it was truly about developing more than just players and athletes. We want to develop the holistic person. And part of that is reaching out to the community, uh, developing real life skills for when you're done playing. Um, Now in this day and age, it's also about branding and NIL and and how to really leverage who you are as an athlete in a place like Wisconsin, um, which has a a rabid fan base and is, is one of the more notable programs in the country. And uh, so Chris Worley reached out to me and he asked if I would come in and talk about what I do professionally, but also the opportunities that um, their athletes have there at Wisconsin in terms of name, image and likeness. And I was all over it. And it was really good. We, we spent a lot of time talking about branding. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about how media can help build your brand. Uh, we talked about social media and, um, you know, just being able to present yourself authentically and in a way that resonates with people. And then ultimately you can attract brands that um, align with your values and and make money, but also make money in a way that you're believing. Um, And it was really good. The guys there were super receptive. It's an impressive group of young men there. Um, And I was definitely glad to do it. One of my big takeaways from the NIL program there at Wisconsin is that they're trying to incentivize their athletes to um, to save their money. And, uh, I'm big on this thing with young people where everybody's like, you know, we need to you know, try to keep up with the Joneses, all the guys like wearing the nice suits and they want the cars and they want the, you know, Louis Vuitton for when they're walking into the stadium and all that. Um, you got other guys who are more entrepreneurial and they want to invest their money and they want to find a way to make their money grow. 
Um, and I believe, and, and they believe that when you're a young person, the best thing you can do is invest in yourself and into your future. And so um, Coach Fickle's trying to find creative ways to incentivize those guys to make sure that they hold on to as much money as they possibly can, which I think is a great idea. Um, ultimately, it's it's a unique spot going in and talking to a group of college kids, uh, specifically collegiate athletes, on branding and how to make money because it's something I wasn't able to do when I was playing. But uh, they want to bring in folks who have that real life experience that can really pour into the locker room community there. Yeah. What were some of the questions that the guys had for you when, uh, you know, when you were out there presenting? Well, I had guys ask me about uh, how to get into media and what it's like being a, a media personality uh, because it's, it's a natural transition for a lot of players. I know things that guys like to do when they're done playing, they want to get into media, they want to get into coaching and they want to get into sales. They want to eat what they kill. Um, and, and, uh, I've done two of those three things in my life, so I can share those experiences with them. Um, that was really good. The other thing was just, um, you know, from a, a branding standpoint, I talked a lot about authenticity and guys want to know what that really looked like. And, um, we had some examples and I use, um, Giannis, the Greek freak and guys up there are familiar with him. Um, uh, but you know, he was a guy coming over to the States. He talked about how much he loved drinking smoothies. Um, I think that that really endeared him to the community. Also, if I'm, you know, Smoothie King or whoever uh, might throw him a little bit of money and, and have him drink in my smoothies as he's walking into the arena, uh, different things like that. And so it's it's nothing too big. Like recently, um, you know, I was on one of the shows I do and I talked about how I used to love eating goldfish before games and goldfish sent me a care package. And it's just like, you know, does care package pay the bills? No. Um, did I build a, a genuine relationship with the brand? Yes. Did I get goldfish, which I love? Absolutely. And it's even things like that. And I think it, 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 uh, it shows a more real side. Like everybody sees you as a football player, you got a freaking cage around your face and they don't know what your personality is like. Um, and so as, as often as it is appropriate to just share a little bit about yourself, I think that is what really moves the needle when it comes to personal branding. Josh, would you, I'm sorry, my internet has been wonky, so I switched to the phone, but, um, do you suggest that because now you can make money? So would you have called Goldfish? Like, is that something that these kids should be doing is calling the places they love and saying, hey, can I get a deal here? Are you interested in working with me? Is that something like that you would suggest to do? I don't see why they shouldn't do it. I, I think um, especially now um, with social media, like you could you could hit up their social media team or you can go on Instagram, Twitter, whatever the case is and reach out to somebody and um, get the ball rolling there. Uh, definitely easy to reach out. I know that some players have representation. That'd be something if I had an agent, I'd be like, hey, and I, I do it personally right now. I'd be like, hey, can you kick the tires on this and see what's up? Uh, because I, I, I think part of this is having to go out and do the work. And I think uh, a lot of people thought when this NIL thing came around, it was just going to be easy money and everybody was going to be approaching them. And uh, quite frankly, like you, you have to introduce yourself to a lot of people. And it again goes back to the nature of playing football, but it's a big roster and they don't get to see your face. Um, I think for as many of these athletes as possible, getting face to face with people is huge. Like, oh man, they realize you have a great smile and a good personality and that you can articulate what the values of their brand are and your brand um, and how that goes along together. So to answer your question, yes, I think there are a lot of players that probably fly a little bit more under the radar that have to put that groundwork in. And it's a balance too, because you, you know, you can't, you gotta, you gotta do schoolwork. You gotta get in your playbook. So you can't spend all day cold calling companies. But if there's something that you feel really passionate about um, representing and, and being a part of it, those guys absolutely should do it. I think the mentality of football, at, at least, and, and you probably know this better, but for a college athlete, 
you are a business now. You are a brand. Like when I showed up on campus in 01, I was nothing. I wasn't a brand. I wasn't um, marketable. I was like just this dude from New York who showed up. Now, what's the mindset, Joshua, of like a literal company? Like you become a company the second you sign to get a scholarship to the university of anywhere. What's that mindset like now? Yeah, I think it's it's a tough mindset for a young person because there, there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with it. I would say the first thing, um, if I were doing it, and hopefully I had a great team, but protect myself one way or another, right? So you have to protect the way that you're presented and you have to protect your best interests and uh, things that go along with that. Um, I also think you have to keep first things first. Um, bad players aren't getting deals. It's like pretty simple. So you got to go out there and ball. Like you don't, you can't just walk on campus and, and expect just because you're, you know, you're on scholarship and you got the sweatsuit that all of a sudden the money's supposed to be rolling in. Like you, you have to put in the work. You have to become uh, a player that people resonate with. They've seen on the field and somebody that folks ultimately like. So I think the process has changed just from uh, the way that, that young athletes have to think about themselves and, and how much more they have to keep their guard up. And like, I was in the age of Instagram and Twitter. So we had branding opportunities we couldn't monetize. And the flip side of that too, was like, everybody had a camera phone in their pocket. So we had to really be aware of what we were doing. And now I think it's even a step further with the ability to make money, um, how you have to protect yourself there. But um, it, it still goes back to the old school though. And I think that a lot of the old school values still remain. Are you a good person? Are you a good player? And ultimately, if those two things happen, you're going to be able to do whatever you want to do. What is your favorite NIL story that you have seen of someone using their brand for a unique in a unique way for, you know, promoting good? Like what are some of or at least your favorite NIL stories that you've encountered? Yeah, I've, uh, I know a lot of the the collectives that have come out have, um, you know, fashioned themselves into charitable organizations. And I know that the uh, the IRS is looking into that. And it's a, it's a funny proposition to think that you pay somebody to do charity work. But um, one guy who's actually really into the work and, and, and does it not because it's something that makes him a lot of money, but just because he's a person that actually cares about the community is uh, Blake Corm at Michigan. I know I'm an Ohio State t- a guy talking about a Michigan man, but um, to see the work that he's done in the community, um, you know, Thanksgiving drives and back to school drives and uh, camps, things of that nature that really build inroads and give folks um, who, you know, everybody's watching on Saturday, but an opportunity to meet a great athlete and to feel like they're a part of that community, I think is a big deal. And it's one of the great things that not enough people are talking about, because you could talk about. Um, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. doing a, a national ad campaign with The Rock and like that's it's really good stuff. And you can talk about Angel Reese uh, doing Sports Illustrated and like it's it's really good opportunity. Uh, but the, the thing that has come out of this is some guy said, well, I'm going to take this opportunity to build a brand that is around people and supporting people. Um, you know, I think about one of my favorite athletes of all time and LeBron James and how he's used his platform um, you know, to, to help educate people, send kids off to school and to, to find um, housing and jobs for people in his community. But you got college kids that are thinking that same way. And, um, you know, ultimately they're going to become adults and that's still going to be on their heart and they're going to be able to change um, the trajectory of, of other people's lives and a family's lives out there, which I think is fun stuff. So you get the dark side and you see the kids pulling up to the facility and they've got Mercedes and BMWs and cars nicer than what we drive right now. Um, and everybody thinks it's all about vanity and gluttony and what's in it for me. 
Um, but there are a bunch of stories out there of guys who said, I'm going to take my free time and I'm going to take some of my earnings and I'm going to pour it back into the community, which is doing the right thing. Dude, I, uh, Josh, one of the guys who recently graduated, not recently, I'm sorry, when I was there, had uh, the first G-Wagon ever to come off the line. I was like, dude, I've never seen this car in my life. I was driving this garbage scooter. Um, listen, I think I think what you, you're you saying is is really important. I'm not, I think there's, the NIL has a, a way, also, you know, you, you grew up during a time when you could use a platform, you have a platform and you could use it the way you want to. Um, and I don't know anything about Blake. I'm, he's a great athlete. I literally hate Michigan, probably not as much as you do, but maybe <laughs> close. Um, but it, it, it does make me feel good that there are dudes out there doing these things. And I think using social media is so important in that way. You know, how do, how do you think like, is there a way to do it? So people don't always, you know, like there's so many haters out there. Is there a way to right. do it that are people are like, now nah, he's just doing it to make himself look good. Like, uh, how, like, how do you get around some of that stuff? Unfortunately, no. Like, I think people are just going to look for reasons to to discount the the good works that folks do, and it, it happens constantly. And it's like, you know, for example, um, you know, if you're somebody who says that you are a charitable person, but they see you pull up to the charity event in a luxury vehicle, right? Like, somebody's going to have a comment about that. And I think two things can exist at one time. Like, I think somebody can understand that it, it is the right thing to do to help the community. They're passionate about helping their community. Um, they see the value in helping their community. And ultimately, it's something that they make a priority while also saying that this brings me good publicity and it brings me goodwill and it helps me out personally. And I think those two things can exist and I think they're both fine. Um, I think that somebody can you know, live a, a life that they feel like is suitable. Um, and it doesn't make them any less charitable when they show up to the event because they drive a, a nicer car than people think they should or whatever the case is. So um, I, I feel like we have, as a society, made a decision that it's either one way or it's another way. But two things cannot exist at one time. And I am a big believer in the nuance of situations. And this even crosses over into football where I feel like we have to evaluate certain teams or certain players or whatever the case is on different levels. Like I think that Indiana Rutgers Northwestern could go out and they could get beat by two or three touchdowns. And I could also say that they played a pretty good game, but when you're playing against the Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, what people hope Wisconsin is going to look like this year, when you're playing those types of teams, sometimes you end up losing by two touchdowns, even though you played a solid game, like both things can happen at the same time. Um, and so my biggest thing is I hope that people who are giving of themselves and spending time and making it a priority don't get discouraged by folks who want to point fingers um, while they're sitting on their behind not doing a daggone thing. <laughs> Listen, I, I do. I really like that. Uh, just, a, just a straight up question. Do you like the NIL? Um, I don't love it as it is constructed. I think that the NIL inducements to high school athletes are borderline criminal. Um, and I say that because you are asking somebody who has never seen, and regardless of what background you come from, has never seen uh, uh, that substantial amount of money that is their own personally to do whatever they want with. And you're asking them to make a decision about the next three, four, five, six years in some cases of their life, and then the next 50 years after that. 
based off of a dollar amount. Young people are not equipped to make those decisions. And so for high schoolers to be told, if you come here, you will get this amount of money, probably not fully understand how that money is paid out or what they have to do in order to get it, I think is borderline criminal. I love the idea of leveraging brands. I love the idea of um, you know being able to, to go out there and say, I bought out. And so I have earned the opportunity to be somebody who could be the face of something bigger than them. I think it's great. Um, I know people have kicked around the idea of a revenue share. And uh, we all see what's going on in collegiate athletics right now. And we see what these TV deals are looking like. I work for a big TV network. I, I know what they put in my paycheck. I know what they put into the production budgets and everything. There's a lot of money out there. And so even the idea of a revenue share, I know it gets complicated. Um, I'm here for that. The other part of NIL that I think is bothersome too is uh, it goes back to the the uh, the charitable collective thing. Um, I think that is a, it's a way that folks have tried to take advantage of um charitable contributions, basically tax code to be able to funnel money to players. That feels a little bit dirty because I like to see the money being put into the legitimate charities that are doing the work. And there's a million of them out there that get the same benefit that don't actually do the work. And that's just a thing of mine. Um, so essentially what I'm getting at is they need guardrails. Uh, I don't think they need to take more freedom away from student athletes. I just think it needs to be guided in a way that we are not hurting student athletes and we are not trying to take advantage of the system. Yeah, I completely agree. Attention athletes. Do you want a frictionless and tailored financial planning experience to secure your future? Well, look no further. Introducing Oak Bridge Wealth Management, the premier financial planning firm for professional athletes. Led by wealth manager Chris Anasetti, our team provides a unique and comprehensive approach, ensuring your financial success both on and off the field. We understand the unique challenges you face as a professional athlete, from managing cash flow habits to planning major business purchases and navigating complex contracts. That's why we've developed a proven process, working closely with our strategic partners to provide seamless solutions for your unique financial journey. Our services evolve with your career, offering short, mid, and long-term goal setting, portfolio optimization, real estate investments, and more. As you transition to life beyond the field, we support you with career development and philanthropic ventures. But don't just take our word for it. Top NFL players like Chase Roulier, Tyler Biotish, Alec Ingold, and more trust Oak Bridge Wealth Management to guide them towards financial success. Troy Dye of the Minnesota Vikings says, I really love the work that Chris and the rest of the Oak Bridge group do. I especially like the honesty and transparency when it comes to setting up financial goals and plans that best fit my needs and situation. It's time to elevate your financial game plan. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anicetti. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E and join the winning team. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And so that actually makes for a nice transition a little bit into talking about the media, because we see a lot of critiques out of the media about NIL from people who think it's absolutely horrendous and college students shouldn't get anything and should be happy with a with a scholarship. And people say, just let it be a free for all. Let it be a complete, you know, the wild, wild west out there. Um I want to talk to you today, though, a little bit about your career in media, because, you know, you've done a great job, obviously, transitioning from being a player to being part of the media. And so, first of all, when did you get interested in being on the media side of athletics and specifically college football? I fell into it, if I'm being completely honest. So I um, I graduated from Ohio State um, after the 2015 season. I was drafted in the fourth round. Uh, in 2016 to the Chargers. I spent a year there. Coaching staff got canned. Um, I got cut at the end of the preseason, went over to Indianapolis. I played there for a year. Coaching staff got canned. I got cut after that year. I went over to Seattle. Um, I was dealing with injuries. I just decided that, um, you know, I needed to, to make a transition in my life. So when I went back home to Columbus, Ohio, and that's where I grew up, um, I got a real estate license. I, I went right to real estate school, and that's the sales part that I was talking about. And I had developed a um, a solid real estate career. I had an office eventually that I was running, and, and you know, I was closing deals, whatever the case was. But the whole time I was doing that, um, I started to get into media. So I had somebody reach out um, when I first left the league and said, "We want you to do pregame coverage of Ohio State on the radio." And I was like, "That's fantastic! I'll do it." never done it before, but I'll figure it out. Um, then I had somebody reach out and say, uh, we want you to do uh, post-game coverage for Ohio State on a local station. I was like, great, never been on TV. I'll figure it out. And uh, just kind of from there, I started getting more and more opportunities to do it. And then it became something I figured out that I really enjoy. And I tell people all the time, I don't feel like I'm going to work when I go to work, which is a great place to be. Um, the other part of it is something that I figured out that I could be really good at and I was passionate about. Um, and so when those two things kind of came together for me mentally, I decided that it was something that I wanted to fully invest in. I've also been extremely fortunate to be a guy who was just in the right place at the right time. Like when I left the league, it was uh, the right place, right time to get started up. Um, you know, a year after that big 10 network had an opening and it was the right place and right time for me to, to audition for that job. And then, um, you know, the, over the last year with realignment and new TV deals, um, NBC getting into the picture ended up being a, a great opportunity for me to still cover big 10 football, uh, but to do it on a, um, a national stage with NBC. And so I can't hardly say that all of it is because, you know, I'm a grinder and I work hard and I'm really good at what I do. Like part of it is I just happen to have the opportunity fall into my lap at the right timing for me to be able to make moves. Um, so I've been fortunate in a lot of ways, but uh, to go back to it, like this is something I love and I could not imagine my life right now without being uh, part of the media. A lot of people say the, the hard work ethic that I'm sure you've had your entire life got you into these positions to be lucky, though. It, that it's 100% the case. Like, I mean, you all know how it is. Like putting together a show is, is difficult and it's time consuming and, and there are a lot of elements to it. And you have to be, um, you know, you have to be well studied and you have to be on point and you have to present. And, and so there's definitely work that goes into that. And I, I tell some of my friends who uh, think they want to get into media and I'm like, that's great, but it's not just the, the couple hours that you see on a Saturday. 
Um, this is a, an all week thing. I, I watch as much tape or even more tape sometimes than I did when I was a player, just trying to get an edge uh, from when I'm doing game breakdowns and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, during the college football season, I work six days a week. So it's definitely a grind and a hustle. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, the, the opportunity needs to be there. Like, I know a lot of really talented people who just haven't had, haven't caught the breaks that they need in order to, to get their foot in the door. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to catch some of those breaks. So it's a combination, no doubt. And I think that um, the background as an athlete has forced me to work differently because I'm uncompromising in uh, my ethic. But at the same time, like, you know, if, if, if there's nowhere to go, then I'm just, I'm over here as a, a talented dude who's just sitting around and I don't have a microphone to talk into. So what's been the best piece of advice you've received in this media journey that you've been on now for a couple of years? Um, I think the idea that um, don't forget where you came from as a player. And, and what I mean by that is when I was at Big Ten Network, um, that's a, co a, a company that only covers Big Ten sports and they cover it as closely as anybody does. And so with that, you get everybody's mom and dad watching and their grandparents are watching and all of their, their high school friends are watching. And it becomes an opportunity to really celebrate these athletes. And many of them who probably won't hear their name on ESPN, um, many of them who won't won't ever play the game again after they're done, um, really lean into the idea of knowing what it was like to be a former player. And, you know, your, your mom DVRs the part where they were reading the highlight and they said your name. In it. <laughs> um, I, I think that was really big. Uh, the other part about it too, and it, this was not a difficult process, but um, I feel like folks really like to lean into where you played and they want to, to micro analyze your analysis um, but just making sure that you're thoughtful when it comes to remaining objective and um, having a, a fair and balanced viewpoint. I think the, the pitfall that I fall into is not hyping Ohio State up. I feel like I'm as hard on them in media as anybody else is because I know what we were when I played there and that was a, a championship team. And I know what type of talent they have in the expectation level. Um, and so sometimes I, I might be a little bit more critical than other people are, but um, just that idea of, you know, there's there's folks from every fan base watching and, and all they want to feel like is that their team is being treated fairly uh, when people are talking about them. I, I find that the that um, I love to know where people played and that they did play. I find that to me is exciting when you're hearing commentation. But I also think it does the best people are the ones that are what exactly what you're saying aren't um are hard on every team or are you know picking things out of everywhere and not favoriting a team to me that would be impossible i'm just in awe of how you do it because i don't know how to do it like everything wisconsin does to me is great and <laughs> even if they lose i'm like that's not their fault it's somebody else's fault um but i i think that that is what makes the best commentators are the people who can do that you can tell me differently but i really think that's special no, I, I mean, I, I think it is too. And um, it's just, I think it's big on perspective and, and why people tune in. Like, um, and at the end of the day, I think that uh, what I do specifically is more of a celebration than anything else of, of collegiate athletics and of programs and players and coaches and, and uh, different unique journeys to, to get to wherever the destination is for people. And uh, I like to keep that top of mind. Like if I want 
somebody to, to feel like they're getting the real analysis and I'm not going to fluff it up and, and, and say anything that's untrue just to make people feel good. Um, but ultimately you want them to feel good about the analysis because they know it's genuine and it's accurate. And, uh, um, it's coming from a place of, you know, this is what we saw and this is what it means. And, and for your fan base, this is what you should expect moving forward. And people can ultimately feel good walking away from that. So uh, I want to I want to pivot here to talk about Luke Fickle because we are in a Badger podcast. You do uh, you said you've known him since you were a sophomore in high school. So what has been your relationship with Coach Fick and how has it evolved from being a recruit to now being in the media and someone he's clearly still values the opinion of greatly enough to bring you into the program and talk. Well, uh, you know, as a high school recruit, there was a lot of ass kissing that didn't go on when I got on campus. And so that was a uh, that was a little bit of a shift there. I had to learn who the real coach Fickle was once I got on campus. But um, I, I tell people this and I mean it genuinely. But if, if Luke Fickle was not the, the linebacker coach and defensive coordinator at Ohio State, I'm not exactly sure that I would have finished my career at Ohio State because Urban and I, I love him to death. And we've got a great relationship to this day, too. We didn't start off like that. Um, he didn't recruit me. I got recruited by Jim Trestle's staff and, and Urban told me straight up, like, you're not the type of player that I typically would recruit. And I don't know if you're going to make it here. And that was demoralizing because I had never heard anybody tell me that I wasn't a good athlete before. Um, and so coach Fickle always used to come in the meeting room after we get done with team meetings and he'd shut the door and he would just remind us that everything you heard in there isn't necessarily reality. And what, what we do in our room is the reality. And he would shoot it with us straight. And that would be from days where Urban was hyping everything up and he'd be like, that's not reality. We got to take it back a step. Or it'd be days when Urban was really hard on us and he would say, that's not reality. This is what you really are. Um, that perspective was really big for me. Um, and so I've always appreciated that. And I think that has um, changed my uh, approach to, to kind of staying in neutral on a lot of things and trying to figure out and diagnose what the reality actually is. Um, when I became a former player, we stayed in touch constantly. And I tried not to, to blow him up and he wouldn't blow me up, but just the idea of being able to maintain that relationship, I think was important for the both of us. But um, my going into my second year in the NFL, uh, Coach Fickle had asked me about an opportunity um, at Cincinnati and if I was interested in it. And that's the type of guy that he is. And I mentioned the, the amount of former players that are working with him, but um, he was always just looking out, like just making sure that everything was taken care of. And if he could help in any type of way, um, that he was going to be that type of person. And I still feel that to this day. And when I was on campus to talk about NIL, I got to spend um, a lot of time with him, which I was fortunate to do. And when we chat, it's, you know, some of it's about football and, um, you know, we're just talking about the game. Most of it is about everything else that's going on and, and his family and, and his six children and his wonderful wife. And, and he's asking me about my wife and, and if we're planning on having a family, whatever the case is, professionally, how things are going. Like, it's never just a football conversation, but it's never been just a football conversation with me and him. And I think it's important. Uh, and I mentioned it off the top, but like, there's so many guys in the industry that don't care about anything but the game. Um, and it's really hard to to exist in a world where you're hyper focused on that one thing and, and you have to try to act like nothing else matters and everything else matters sometimes. And uh, he, he would always be um, the right guy to talk to when there was something else that was going on. And he still is. Joshua, do you think do you think the success he's having now is 
is from like just all the coaching experience he gathered in all these different places. And and what do you think that is? Because he will say it, he said it a number of times. He's like, we haven't even played a snap of football. And everyone is hyping him up. What's what's that hype to you? And how does a guy like Coach Fickle handle that? The the hype is because of what he's done his whole career. As a position coach, he was really good. As a coordinator, he was fantastic. Um, as a head coach at Cincinnati, obviously, he did something that nobody else had done. And it's take a, a group of five teams to the college football playoff. Um, he put a ton of guys in the NFL. And that's not because he had the best rosters. And when I was playing at Ohio State, we had better players than everybody else. Is why he had so many guys go to the league. He had to develop <laughs> those guys. He had to make them into players. And uh, he's done that in multiple spots. We have one of our guys, uh, uh, the year I got drafted, uh, another one of our linebackers, Darren Lees from New Albany, Ohio. He played quarterback in high school. Luke Fickle pounded the table to get him in the door. Urban didn't want him. He got him in, developed this three-star guy who was a quarterback into an All-American linebacker who was a first-round pick. It's something he's done uh, throughout his career. And so I think a lot of people are looking at the past experience to predict what's going to happen in the future. Um, I also think that people are looking at the Wisconsin program and they're seeing the infrastructure that's there. They're seeing the financial commitment that came with bringing Coach Fickle in, not only for him, but for his staff, for facilities, which I think is really important. It's showing that they're they're trying to compete in the new age of college football. Um, and and so I think that there uh, there's a stat that's out there that Wisconsin as a program had the most wins of any team that had not made it to the college football playoff. Like, I think people see that and they, they see the type of place that it is and they feel extremely confident in it. Um, I know that Coach Fick had job offers when he was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State before he left for Cincinnati. And he turned them all down because he's a very patient person who um, has the ability to look at himself and to to say if he's ready for an opportunity, like a lot of guys jump at it because they're like, Oh yeah, you know, this is the next step. And he's like, well, don't know if it's the right step for me. Don't know if it's the right step for my family. And quite frankly, don't know if I'm ready. And I think his ability to do that for a long time has really impacted how uh, he approaches building his own programs and how he approaches building a staff and how he approaches um, working with his players. And, and so um, he's, he's just, he's the right type of guy to be in college football. And I think that he went to a great program. One of the questions that a lot of people asked was why Wisconsin, like of all the different places, you know, people were thinking that he could have become the head coach at Ohio state one day. I know when uh, Notre Dame, when Brian Kelly left, his name was thrown around in there. And I know there was a, a lot of legitimate interest and it's a place that I'm certain he would have enjoyed and had success at people say, why Wisconsin? And I think it's for a number of reasons. It's in the Midwest, which he loves. It's a gritty place, which he loves. And again, um, what this athletic department is showing that they want to become and, and what they have been as a program, um, exceeding expectations a lot of times, he was all for it. And so I think it's a perfect marriage. <laughs> so uh, uh, what is something that Badger fans should know about Coach Fick that they probably don't know, that they probably have one that hasn't come out in his different interviews? Man, this is a this is a that's a toughie. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The personality, I think, is the the biggest part of it. And he's he he tries he portrays to be this like super serious guy, and um, he is very serious when it comes down to it. But there were multiple times where he would invite the linebackers over over the summer uh, to his house, and he'd be throwing guys in the pool, and you know he. <laughs> 
try to like dunk on us on on the basketball hoop I'm like coach you can't even get up like that like you can't <laughs> jump um just like different things like that um he he's a guy who embraces the the fun parts of being a coach and um somebody who is he has hard standards and he's gonna grind guys but at the same time like he's gonna make sure that everybody has fun um and and he's gonna get down and dirty and do the work too. Like he, it used to be funny because we would we would do uh, early morning workouts. We come in and we see Coach Fickle getting a workout in before uh, the team got there. And then the coaches are all in the field yelling at us during the off season. And he would see a guy struggling, a young guy, and he would get in there with him, right? Like it's it's the stuff that most coaches like. I mean, you've seen what some of these coaches look like. Um, they're not willing to do it. And, and Luke Fickle is like, no, I'm one of the guys. We're going to do this together. I just, I had, I have like so many questions off in my head, but like, so, so I want to talk about the landscape of football. Cause I think it's, it's, I mean, it's shifting dramatically and you're mm-hmm. a big 10 guy. The big 10 is going to have 40 teams in it at some point. <laughs> yeah. Right. What, what's your thought on like these super conferences? Cause it looks like we're going that way. I have a, this is like a multi-layered question. question. What's your thought about the conferences? And, and some Pac-12 is going to be nothing soon, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Um, what's your thought on our, our uh, athletic director, McIntosh, seeing maybe some of these things happening and really trying to get ahead of it? I mean, hiring Fickle was not the most popular um, hire at the time. Right. And, and now it seems like a very successful, a great hire. What are your thoughts on all those things? Because I think Wisconsin has put itself in a position to be on top, at least winning when all these things start changing. No, it's a great question. I'll start with the Wisconsin aspect of it is um, you have to be on the offensive in this day and age. And I think you have to be outside of the box and maybe take some chances that people don't understand at the time. But when you can see what's on the horizon, you understand it. Not everybody can see that. Um, and so I think it was something that Wisconsin had to do in order to stay competitive. And I look at the Big 12 in that regard and uh, their their new commissioner, Brent Yormark, and, and what he decided that he was going to do is he said, screw it. Um, the, we're not going to be the Big Ten. We're not going to be the SEC, but we're definitely not going to be left behind either. And so he went out and he got some some group of five teams to go ahead and join the Big 12. Um, people are kind of looking like, ah, does that really move the needle? It's like, I don't know if it necessarily moves the needle, but it gets us into different geographies that still make sense, but also uh, have rabid football fan bases. Um, and then he goes after Colorado. And again, it's like, does does going after Colorado really make sense? It was a team that was 1-11 last year. And it's like, well, Prime's moving the needle right now. And, you know, they're in a geography that is growing, uh, Denver in the state of Colorado, and they like football there. And so let's just bring them in. And that started the domino to where the Pac-12, they didn't do anything. And now all of a sudden, it's going to be the Pac-4. Nobody exists anymore. You, like, you have to get aggressive and you have to – it's almost finding ways to survive when you can't be one of the big dogs that's thriving. And I don't, I don't think that um, you know, Big 12 had that mentality uh, that they were necessarily going to be the big dog, but they said we're not going to go away. Um, and so now the Big 10, I feel like in this last round of realignment, specifically with Oregon and Washington – um, you know, they had to make a decision because the opportunity fell into their lap. And I know it was unpopular uh, among some administrators and, and some university presidents and decision makers. But at the same time, it's like, guys, 
we have this golden opportunity to bring in a couple of brands that are really competitive. People like football, um, like let's go. Um, and so I give credit for that. I think the Josh, biggest, well, give me one, wait, let me ask you one question on top of that. How many conferences do you think survive and what, what's like a good amount to have where like football is still interesting to watch? I think to me, like three is not enough. Three conferences aren't enough. Yeah. I think the ACC still makes it honestly. And the reason that I say that is because they got that stupid grant of rights through uh, 2036 or whatever the case is. It, it feels like people are trying to find out if they can get out of it, but it's ironclad. Um, and, and, I think that a lot of the schools in, I'll just put it like this, from a TV perspective, I don't know how much money the TV networks are, are going to, to shell out if there is a new massive wave of realignment. For teams that would be moving from the ACC to the SEC, ESPN has the SEC. They already have the ACC. Why would they pay more for those same teams? That doesn't make sense from a business case standpoint. For the Big Ten, um, and we see what's happening with Oregon and Washington. They're coming in on a reduced revenue share. Well, it's because they just redid the deal. And I'm, I'm sure the TV networks are saying, like, dude, we gave you a ton of money. Like, you you guys <laughs> have to now find a way to make those work. And and we got to do some more work on our end as TV networks now because we got to move around inventory. And we probably have to get into different uh, windows. We might be doing games throughout the week that we don't that we didn't plan on doing. And like, could there be a Thursday night window? Could there be a Friday window? Um, do we have to open up the, the Pac-12 after dark window on these networks that haven't necessarily done it before? Um, I think that for the ACC, they're, they're kind of stuck, but it keeps them together, which I think is better than the alternative. The Big 12 looks like they're going to be around, and then you got the Big 10 the SEC. So I think it's going to be four conferences, um, and I, I'm not exactly sure what happens to the remainder of the Pac-12, and, and that'll be, um, you know, we'll see what happens from there on out. Four feels like an interesting number, though, with the new playoff format coming up because, you know, four teams are going to be able to get buys. Do you just say that the the power four, um, whoever their conference champ is, you know, they get the buy? Do we do it a different way? I'm not exactly sure, um, but I think they stay. Now, my biggest sticking point on realignment is this. Um, I think it's fun for us. I think we're going to get to see – um, more marquee matchups throughout the season, which I think that fans are going to enjoy. And obviously from a, a TV standpoint, that's going to move the needle and drive ratings. Um, there's an idea that college football specifically is built off of history. And so part of the history of the game evaporates with these moves. And I know people are looking at uh, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, for example. Are you going to be able to maintain those rivalries or are they rivalries that go away? I was on Wikipedia the other day looking at big 10 rivalries because I was trying to figure out how many trophies there are in this conference. And it's about a million of them. Um, <laughs> what I, what I failed to realize is Minnesota has like five, six rivals. Um, you know, they've, they've got Wisconsin, they've got Iowa. Uh, what I didn't realize was that uh, Michigan is a Little rival of theirs. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there, there are all these things that I don't think a lot of us have considered and it makes it hard from a scheduling standpoint to maintain some of that history. And then probably the bigger point is I think having a West coast hub with Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA is important for uh, Olympic sports and non-revenue sports because the travel that is required of them 
and many of them are busing or they're flying commercially, they don't get the charter like football does, uh, becomes difficult. They're uh, especially in season with their academic schedule. That's tough. And these are a lot of athletes who aren't making NIL money. And some of them are on partial scholarship trying to figure out how they're going to pay the rest of their way through school. Some of them wanted to be close to home so their mother and father could watch them. And now all of a sudden the competitions aren't going to be anywhere remotely close to home. Um, We have to ensure if you are an administrator, if you are somebody high up in a university, that those athletes are taken care of. Because I think football can be taken care of. Basketball is going to be taken care of both on the men's and the women's side. Um, Even in some of these athletic departments, Wisconsin, great volleyball program. I'm sure they'll take care of the volleyball players. Like Nebraska is going to take care of theirs. I know Ohio State's going to take care of theirs. Um, But like baseball, how are we doing? What about gymnastics? We got synchronized swimming at Ohio State. Are you going to take care of them? Like, are we going to figure out ways to make sure that this is equitable for athletes across different sports? And I hope that there is a way to ensure that their lives are already going to be disrupted, but as minimally as possible. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. I know uh, we've unfortunately all got other meetings to go to. I have a million more questions for you, Joshua. So we're just going to have to bring you back. We didn't even get to really preview the Big Ten season. Um, This is great. So so, this is great because I've insured myself a second appearance. So this is really good stuff. I will be back. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we'll definitely have to talk uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, Joshua, I think you were you were part of that. Uh, what was it? 70 to nothing beat down or 70 to seven beat down in the Big Ten title game. That's one of the lowest points of Wisconsin football. So uh, <laughs> thanks for, uh, you know, just, just bringing those memories back here. You can you can catch Joshua on NBC and Big Ten Network this fall. We're really excited about that. We will link to his social medias in the show notes. We appreciate everyone here. Here for tuning into the Believe in Badgers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by betonline.ag and our friends over at Oak Ridge Wealth Management. And until next time, on Wisconsin. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.